Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Faith, for that so much. Appreciate that. That's a beautiful song. Well, Merry Christmas to everyone. We're glad that you're here today in God's house to worship our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope. How many have opened their gifts already this morning? Okay, a few of you. How many are waiting until after lunch? Okay, that's what we're doing. We, we have the, the grandkids are coming over for lunch today, and we're going to open the gifts this afternoon and enjoy the time together. So I hope you're going to enjoy your Christmas day, whatever you're doing or wherever you're going to go. And uh, we pray that the Lord will be honored in all things. And so I'm so glad that you're here today to look into God's Word and to honor the real meaning and the true meaning of Christmas. And we always want to worship Him and make sure He's held first in our life. That's why he says to worship on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is the day of the resurrection. And so we celebrate that every Sunday and honor Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning. I'm going to preach kind of a Christmas message that, uh, well, I haven't preached it before, but it's uh, something that kind of my mind started to run to in my studies. And so I want to uh, share that with you today. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. I've entitled this message, Our Hidden God our hidden God. Stand with me now. We're going to read God's Word. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26. I'm going to go all the way down through verse 35. Follow along now as I read. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thine womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. You may be seated. Our hidden God. Isn't it interesting when we value something, we hide it? If we really like something, I mean, Christmas time. Some of you were preparing far before December. Six months ago, you were already thinking about Christmas gifts. I'll tell you what, I was not. I was not. I think about it a little more closer to the date. But a lot of you think about it way then, and you'll go to great lengths and efforts to hide that present under uh, the bed, up in the attic, some back closet. You'll do everything you can to hide it because it's a precious thing to you, and you want to be a surprise to someone on Christmas Day. And that's a wonderful thing. We hide things many times. I don't know if you ever heard the name Max Planck. Max Planck, in 1918, got the Nobel Prize Award in the world. When he received that prize, he was a German physicist. He gave birth to what is called quantum physics, whatever that is. I don't know what that is, but whatever that is, that's what he gave birth to, quantum physics. And he started traveling 
the country of Germany, giving speeches on quantum physics. Every city he would go to, and he'd take a chauffeur with him, and the chauffeur would take him to every city, and the chauffeur would come in and sit in the back of the room of the lecture hall, and he would listen to him every time he lectured. After they were over, they'd go on to the next town. After doing this for several, several months, the chauffeur said to Max, said, I've been listening to your lecture on and on, and I pretty much have it memorized. I'd like to try something. He said, I'd like to have you to the next city we go to, going to Munich at this particular time. I'd like you to put on the chauffeur's hat and the chauffeur's top coat and drive the car up to the entrance of the hall, and I'm going to dress as you, Max Planck. And I'm going to give the exact lecture you give on quantum physics. Would you be willing to do that? We've been in such a routine, it'd be kind of interesting to break the routine. And Max Planck said, okay, we'll do it. And so he switched over into the chauffeur's outfit. They drove up to Munich to the lecture hall. They came into the hall, and the chauffeur got up there, and spotlessly and without any problems, he gave the exact speech that Max Planck did. When he was finished with the speech, what he didn't realize is in Munich they were going to do a Q&A. And so they asked questions, and one of the men asked a question. There was that chauffeur knowing he was a fake, he was a phony. He was trying to hide that he really wasn't Max Planck. And the man asked the question. Max Planck was sitting there on the front row listening the whole time. The chauffeur, after he heard the question, he said, I would have thought in such an advanced city in Munich, Germany, that there would have been a more intelligent and less elementary question than that. Why, even my chauffeur could answer that. <laughs> and sure enough, his chauffeur did answer that question, and he got out of a sticky situation. Now, why am I telling you? That's a beautiful story. There's the real Max Planck, and there's the fake Max Planck, and they were trying to hide identities. And I want to talk to you about God. He's going to hide his identity in time. And it's a beautiful thing to think about as we come to this passage today. I was thinking about that, reading the text, and it, and it occurred to me as I was sharing that story with you, every person in this room is hiding something. You can't deny it. We all have something to hide. We all have something to hide. Now, uh, in my notes, there are various reasons people hide things. There are various reasons for hiding. Sometimes we hide because of shame or guilt. Guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says something's wrong with me. But we hide because of shame or guilt. We don't want to be judged in a negative way or a negative light. And so we hide things. Sometimes we hide things out of love. We care about the person. We want to try to keep them from pain. So that's not all bad, is it? We hide things from our children until they grow older. Maybe you've even had an adopted child and you didn't want to let them know until they grew older. You did that out of love because you care for that. So sometimes we hide things out of love. Sometimes we hide things because we treasure it. We value it. It's significant like diamonds. If you have diamonds, you just don't leave them laying around. If you have gold, you just don't leave it laying around the house. If you have a deed of trust or a will, you hide it. You don't just leave your valuables and, your, and those things anywhere. Because if it's significant, if it's important to you, if it's valuable, you're going to hide it. 
You're going to hide it. God hid his son in a young virgin named Mary. And only Mary knew it at the time. God hid his son in a virgin girl, and his son became a baby. What Gabriel was telling Mary in Luke chapter 1 is the Son of God has been hidden. The Son of God has been hidden. It is God's secret. It is God's secret. Now, if you go through the Bible, you'll find lots of reasons why he hid that baby. And I'll tell you a few today here. But Gabriel only announces God's secret to a virgin. He announces his secret to a virgin, not a prophet, not a priest, not a pastor. No, to a virgin girl, a virgin girl. Now, I want to talk about this great mystery of hiding, the great mystery of hiding of God. That's my second thought here. Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.16, I love this verse, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified by the Spirit. He was seen of angels. He was believed on by the people. He was preached to the Gentiles. And he was received up into heaven. That's an incredible mystery. That God became and was manifested in flesh. The Lamb of God has been there all the time. Revelation 13, 8 said, He was slain before the foundations of the earth. Try to fathom that point. He was slain before the foundations of the world. No one knew it. No one knew he was slain before the foundation of the world. We think of right there in the middle of time when Christ was born. 30 AD, we think of that's when he was slain, but the Bible says, I hid it from you for all eternity, that he was slain before the foundations of the earth. Because God knows how to hide a thing. Some things he hasn't told you because you can't handle it. You can't handle it. And so it was hidden from you. My mind immediately ran. God does this sometimes with people. Uh, First Kings uh, 4, or 2 Kings 4.27, when the Shunammite woman was given that little baby by Elisha, and that, and that baby was born. And then after she had the baby for a while, the baby got sick and died. And she immediately got on her horse and she rode her horse to find the prophet of God, Elisha. She finds Elisha up in a mountainside and uh, she goes and she grabs the feet of Elisha to say almost, why did you give me a baby? Did I tell you I wanted a baby? I said I was fine. You gave me a baby and then you took the baby away from me. So she's holding on to the feet of Elisha, the prophet. And Gehazi is upset, and he goes to push her away, the Bible says. He's going to put, don't you treat my prophet like that. You know what he says? Leave her alone. She is in great distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me. The Lord has hidden it from me. I want to talk to you about that. That's an amazing thought right there, that the Lord has hidden it from me. What would make God hide things from us? Has God ever hidden anything from you? 
you can't, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, he certainly dropped hints along the way, but he hid a lot of stuff. In Genesis 3.15, he gave the first hint that the seed of the woman would bring forth the Messiah. It was told to Eve, the seed of the woman. And the serpent would crush his heel, and Jesus Christ would crush his head, the head of the serpent. It was told to Eve, and so Eve thought, my child is going to be the Messiah. Because when she had a son, she called him Cain. Look, the man. That's what it means in Hebrew. Look, the man. She thought she was going to get the Messiah, but that was wrong. And every woman in Israel since the day of Eve, when she would go to the Lord and cry out for a baby, she was hoping that through her seed, a woman, she would carry the Messiah. That's an amazing thing. And thousands and thousands of years later, from the prophecy given to Eve, the prophecy fell on Mary. It fell on Mary. Luke one thirty one. Behold, you will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, Yeshua, Savior. Jesus, the Son of God with all his pre-existing glory, with all his omniscience, with all his omnipotence, his, his omnipresence. It was all laid aside. It was all laid aside, and Jesus came out of Mary. Now hear it, okay? Jesus came out of Mary undercover. He didn't let anybody know who he really was except Mary. He came out of Mary undercover. You ever watch Dateline? I love to watch Dateline. I don't know why I watch so much. I'd like to be a cop one day. I've thought about that and be undercover. Have the little secret mic there and catch the criminal and show him you know you killed him in the kitchen with the candlestick and your Colonel Mustard. You know, I'd love to do that sometime. You know, just, just catch them in their crime. Undercover. Cops go undercover all the time. They go under all the time. Jesus did the same thing. He laid aside his garments of glory and he goes undercover. The angels were shocked. Why would God put on flesh? Why would he put on a flesh suit and cover himself up? Why would he hide himself? Because you hide what is valuable. You hide what is valuable. There's so many reasons he hid it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 to 11. Uh, just just if, if you want to turn over there, but I'm going to read this verse to you. I love it. It says, I'll just pick it up in verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in mystery. Hidden is the word there, to hide it. <coughs> Even the hidden wisdom which God hath ordained from the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have crucified the Lord of glory. There's a reason. Did you catch that reason? If he came as God and everybody saw him in his full glory, all of his omniscience, all of his omnipresence, and he came down to this earth, the world, the princes of this world, the leaders, the rulers of this world would not have crucified him. They would have said, you're God. We're not going to crucify you. But he hid himself in flesh so that he'd guaranteed be crucified. Isn't that an amazing thing? If he wouldn't have hidden himself, you'd still be on your way to hell right now. Because you'd have no Savior. Because the world would not have crucified him. That's an amazing thought. That's one of the reasons he hid himself. 
Think about these things. They're incredible to think about as you, as you understand the scriptures here. God goes undercover. Thank God he hid himself. Incognito, concealed, camouflaged. God can have a king hidden in a kid. I like that quote. God can have a king hidden in a kid. God went undercover as a baby. Herod heard that God went undercover and tried to kill him. He put him God put him in a barn. He put him in a manger. That's the only thing to live in mangers? Animals. Isn't that amazing? He hid him in a barn, and the only thing you put there are animals. The reason God would do that is because he would one day become the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. That sheep. That sheep, that lamb of God, is God camouflaged, undercover. He's undercover. Camouflaged to the point he's in a feeding trough, wrapped in milk rags, poorest of abject poverty. That's some hiding by God. Let me go on to the third thought here as I tie this together for you, okay? I want to give you a unique application for your life. I want to take that story now that you know, the hidden God, and I want to apply it to your life. Because I don't think you think about this, because I wasn't thinking about this, but you know, I have been so immersed in the book of Mark that um, these last couple, three weeks, I haven't really been thinking about Mark too much because I've been doing some Christmas messages. But as I was studying this, the hidden God, uh, I was in Mark 6 specifically. If, if you want to turn there, you can. You can follow along with me. In 6, chapter 30, and 645, I saw something jump out at me that related to Jesus Christ being the hidden God, the undercover God. And I thought I would share it with you. In Mark 6, verse 30, he feeds the 5,000. You know that story. When the disciples fed the 5,000, it started with a little boy's lunch. And the boy gave the lunch to the disciples. The disciples gave the lunch to Jesus. Jesus blessed the lunch and broke it. He gave it back to the disciples, and then the disciples gave it to all the people. That's a cool kind of God right there. Feed 5,000 with a little lunch. That's the kind of God we like. That's the kind of God we know. The feeding of the 5,000. This is, this is great, God. This is wonderful. Look, you're feeding 5,000 people with one lunch. After that event, Jesus goes away to pray in a mountain. He says, I'm going up to pray. What I want you to do is get in the boat, and I want you to go to the other side. Get in the boat, go to the other side. Now, if there was a 13th disciple, let's say I was the 13th disciple, I'd start to catch on pretty quick here that every time you get in that boat, there's going to be a storm out there. I'd be like, I'm not getting in that boat again. I'm not going to get on that. We know there's going to be a storm, especially if Jesus isn't with us. It's going to be worse than we thought. And so they get in the boat, and they go out to the other side, and sure enough, a storm rises, just like I predicted myself. Storm rises with the wind, but Jesus is not with them this time. But Jesus sees them from off the coastline, from the mountainside. He sees them, the Bible says. He's not just waiting for them to get through the storm. He goes to them. He goes to them and he begins to walk on the water to get to them. So here comes Jesus walking on the water. And as he's walking on the water, 
There's an explanation given here, and I think I'm just going to read it because it's worth, it's worth you hearing this. We'll just turn over there to Mark 6. Let's see, verse 49. I want you to hear this. When they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not, hear it now, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I want to make sense of that to you, and I want to relate it to Jesus Christ, the hidden God. I I think that's very important. The connection to the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the sea. They were on the land feeding the 5,000. And they were close enough to Jesus to be fed by him. Jesus gave to them, they gave to all the people. They recognized him in the feeding of the 5,000. That's Jesus. He can do things God can do. But they didn't recognize him when he went undercover. They didn't recognize him when he went undercover. He became the hidden God at that point, and they saw him, and they thought they had seen a ghost. The spirit, it says there in the passage, a spirit or a ghost. The word is phantasma. We get the word fan, fan, phantom from that word. It's two words put together, photos, which is the word light in Greek, and the other word is the word asthma, which is to show. Literally, when they saw him, he showed light. He showed light walking across on the water. So he's walking across the water and he's showing light. He's a ghost to them. He's a spirit. The God who wrapped up in a flesh coat is now walking on the water. The disciples who ate from his hand yesterday do not recognize him in the way he's coming to them now. He's coming to them in a storm. Here's the deal. You recognize God when he saved you. You recognize God when he put his spirit into you. You recognize God when he provided a need in your life. It was easy to see God's hand. But the question I'm asking you today is, can you recognize him in a storm? Most Christians can't recognize him in a storm. Can you recognize him in a storm? Oh, you recognize him in praise. You recognize him in prayer. You recognize him when we come to worship. You hear the word of God taught. But can you recognize him in a storm? You can recognize him in the preaching, but the real test of your discipleship is do you recognize him in your storm? Do you see Jesus Christ in your storm? Why? Now hear me, okay? God goes undercover in your storm. That's why sometimes you can't rebuke the storm and stop it in your life. You say, why not? Because you can't use God to rebuke God. What if it's God in your storm? You can't use God to rebuke God. God is hidden 
in your trouble. God is hidden in your trouble. I'm, I'm talking to all of you, okay? Because so many times we miss this completely. Uh, what you are going through right now is God in disguise. Is God in disguise. The wind's blowing, the lightning's flashing, the thunder's erupting, the, boat's to- the boat is tossed to and fro. There's no demons around. It's all God. It's, it's not a mega storm from Satan. No, this is God undercover. This is God undercover. Which tells me, and I wrote this in my notes, sometimes this means the greatest manifestation of God in your life is in your storm. You know how I know that's true? I've had to kind of work through this in my own life. And you know the way God taught it? Not from my life, but watching my kids' lives. I'm not going to tell you the specifics of this, but I'm going to tell you just enough so you get it, okay? One of my children was going through a storm recently. And so my wife and I, we'd pray together at night, and we'd join hands, and we'd pray. And we were praying for our, uh, our specific child. And then I would come to the church, and I would pray on my own. When I pray on my own, I probably pray a little less holy when, I'm, when I've got nobody around. And so I was praying to God privately, and I told the Lord, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. God, you need to fix it. You need to fix this. You, I, I don't like it. God, you need to straighten it out. That's the way I was talking to the Lord. If you don't straighten it out, I, I might have to straighten it out. And God, you don't want me to straighten it out because the truth is it won't be good. It won't be good if I straighten it out. You know what God said to me? You need to hush. You need to be still. Do you know how hard it is to be still with your child? I found it easier to be still with my issues than I do with my children. And the Lord said to me, have I... Have you lived this long, Rob, and not understood? I know how to raise your children. You got to trust me when the lightning flashes in their life, when the thunder erupts in their life. You think it's a ghost. You think it's a phantom when it's just me undercover working out my will in your life and their life. Like God said to me, I know exactly what kind of trouble to put them through. I know exactly what kind of trouble to put them through. To bring out my power that lies inside of them. Now listen to me, this is, this is what God spoke to me about in the last week or so when I was thinking about what to say to you. God was saying, you'll never find out who you are and who I am until you get in trouble. Until you have your storm. Are you in trouble? God's in your trouble. If you're a child of God, he is in your trouble. God is in your trouble. How do you know that? The Lord is a present help in time of need. In time of need. That means God is there in your trouble, but he's hidden. He's disguised. He's camouflaged. You can't pick up on it. You can't see it. And when you see things happen, you think more it's a ghost than you think it's him. But the truth of the matter is, so many people, they're walking the floor, they're upset, they're in turmoil, their food's not digesting, they can't sleep at night. Suppose this, suppose that. 
What do I do if this goes on? What do I do if this happens? Where is God? The disciples were looking for a God who looked like the God who was feeding the 5,000. That's the kind of God they wanted, a God who was feeding the 5,000. Multiply the bread, it's beautiful. I'm right next to you, Jesus. This is wonderful. That's the God they were looking for. But they didn't know the God on the water. They didn't know the God in the water in this storm. They didn't know he was undercover. God's saying, I'm the same God that feeds you on Sunday, even though you get in trouble on Monday. All right? I don't always look like what you heard on Sunday, but I'm going to do what you heard on Sunday through the trouble you're going through on Monday. See, right now, it's easy to see God. It's easy to hear from God. He's speaking to you right now through His Spirit. It's easy to do that because you're here on Sunday. But now you've got to face something on Monday and Tuesday. And are you going to see God then? See, I'm the same God. I haven't changed from Sunday to Tuesday. I'm the same God. There's not a person in this room that somewhere in your life you're not in trouble. I've learned that as a pastor over these years. All I can say is rejoice. The reason he didn't stop the trouble is he uses the trouble to work out his will in your life. What he's saying to us is, trust me when I don't look like myself. Trust me when I don't look like myself. When I come in another form, another way, I'm there. I'm not just at the destination waiting for you. I'm in your dilemma. I'm coming to you. I'm in your storm. That's just what he wants you to see. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe that with all your heart. The dilemma in your, li- the dilemma in your life is just God camouflaged. It's just God camouflaged. Now, let me tell you something. If you want to avoid getting in the boat, you can. You can. You can be the 13th disciple and say, I'm not getting in that boat. There's going to be another storm. You may miss the storm, but you'll miss God too. And some people are happy to live their life that way. Stay out of the storms. I miss God. That's okay. There was no way for them to encounter Jesus without an encounter with the storm. There's no way. There's no way you can do the two. There's no way for you to raise your children... Hear it now. This is what God was saying to me. There's no way for you to raise your children and pray against the storm. That was hard to hear. Because your children will never have the opportunity to see the God of the storm if you pray against the storm. I had to tell myself, God, you just take them through it. You just take them through it. I want to fix it. I want to do something. I want to handle it. I want to get on the phone. I want to make some decisions here. God said, you just let them go. Don't pray against that storm. They'll never find me. They'll never learn about me just with the feeding of the 5,000. We don't always get the God of the fish and bread. Sometimes... You get the undercover God, the camouflage God. But he's the God of your storm. He's the God of your storm. And he will see to it that your storm serves his purpose. 
He'll see to it. Okay, I'm going to close it up here. You said you wanted patience. And he sends somebody to you to get on your nerves. You said you wanted power. And he puts you under pressure. You said you wanted his glory. So he gives you some pain. God knows how to raise you. And better than that, he knows how to raise your children. I know what we do with our kids because I do it. We try to keep our kids from pain as much as we can. And we try to give them a pain-free life as much as we can. But I'm telling you, I've learned this about God. God does not spoil his children. He will not spoil his children or keep them from pain. But he gives every one of us what we need. He gives every one of us what we need. I'm done. That's all I had to say today. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. Bring us to that place of peace. There's some in here that need to find that peace. You're taking them to another level. You don't want them just to know he is the God of the fish and the bread. You want them to see he is the God of the storm. Help them through that, Father. Some are in some storms right now, and they're very difficult. Just, just remind them. And I want to say this to everyone in here. You're right where you're supposed to be, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, whether it works or not, because even if it didn't work, it still worked. The goal is not your goal. It is his goal. Can you accept that in your life? Accept where you are. That's peace. That's peace. You say, God, I'm accepting where I am. That's peace. And it's beautiful. God, I pray you speak to each heart here today. If there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, may they make that decision to put their faith and trust in you. You had to die. You had to go to a cross. You had to shed your blood. Thank God they crucified him that we could have eternal life. And may they put their faith and trust in you for the saving of their soul, for the payment of their sin through Jesus Christ. Lord, bring us all to a place of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together to our feet. Scott's going to lead us in this invitation. It's a beautiful one. Hiding in thee. We'll sing this, and then we'll close with another chorus.